Full disclosure warning, I am not a financial analyst, a financial planner, a financial advisor. I'm not a loan officer, a banker, or even a mortgage broker. Fellow fabricators, I'm just a podcast host. Hey there, Aaron Crowley with the Fab Lab Podcast. This is uh, episode 163. We're going to talk about the banking crisis. You might have seen it on the news, a little bit of uh, upheaval going on in the banking uh, sector as we speak. Over the weekend, there was a pretty uh, fantastic bank failure, a collapse of a pretty major bank down in San Francisco. And uh, of course, Monday morning, first thing, thought I better call my my financial advisor and uh, my business coach and consultant and kind of just get a sense of what's going on. And so I learned some things about this financial quote-unquote crisis in the banking industry. And I wanted to share it with you, put it in perspective, though, in terms that a fabricator you can kind of grasp, just to kind of distill this down and and understand what it means, number one, in a larger sense, but also what we can take away from this and, and how do we apply that to our stone shops. And so in this episode, it's going to be kind of a brief, short episode. I want to just explain what my financial coach, financial advisor business coach, business consultant, explained to me on Monday morning. And I've actually listened to a couple of podcasts about this. I've watched some YouTube videos of some folks that, you know, just have a per, you know a perspective just to try and understand what's going on. And um, and then what, what are the takeaways from that? So before we get into that, I just want to thank you, fellow fabricators. The last couple of episodes, I've talked about a trip that I am leading to Mexico here in just a couple of days and uh, gave you all the opportunity to contribute to that, to help fund the construction work they're going to be doing down there. Um, as I said in the last couple of episodes, it's completely anonymous. I have the foggiest idea how many of you donated to this effort, um, but we've raised a ton of money. So the projects are going to be well-funded, and I just wanted to thank you. Obviously, I have no idea how many of you contributed or how much all of you contributed, but it, it raised a ton of money. And so um, thank you from the bottom of my heart. That is so awesome. I'm not surprised I would expect nothing less from such a fantastic audience here on the Fab Lab Podcast. So let's jump into this. SVB, this bank down in San Francisco, Silicon Valley Bank, basically was shut down over the weekend. The regulators came in, locked the door, and said, um, we gotta, we got to curtail this collapse and protect the depositors. And so I want to just give you a brief, a brief thumbnail sketch of what happened Put it into fabricator ease, if you will, sort of in the context of running a stone shop to make the parallel. And then we have some takeaways. What do we take away from this? What does this mean for us at the local level, running our businesses, paying our employees, keeping our customers happy, and hopefully putting some money in the bank? So we're going to get into that. So this bank, I guess the, the larger question, is this another 2008? Anybody who went through the Great Recession may be thinking like, oh, this seems vaguely familiar. There were these massive collapses in 08. Oh, the whole entire banking system seemed like it was going to melt down, and then the ensuing four or five years were uh, were rather difficult <laughs> for some of us who were deeply in debt going into that. Uh, so is this another 2008? Who knows? I mean, I, we don't know. And I think there's a lot of people out there saying that it is. There's a lot of people with doom and gloom, fear-mongering, you know, kind of want to be the first ones to predict this next financial collapse. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, we don't have a crystal ball. All we know is what we do know, and what we know is this bank failed. SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. So how did it fail? Well, this is the explanation that I was given on Monday morning when my business coach and I talked about this and talked about what it meant for our business. And this has been confirmed by multiple podcasts I've listened to on this issue, as well as some YouTube um, commentators. So basically what happened, in a nutshell, massive, massive, massive flood of cash into the economy over the last couple of years. 
in in lieu of the uh, COVID crisis, you know, the, just the, they opened the floodgates, trillions of dollars was pumped into the economy. And so you had people, you had these businesses, a lot of them in the tech sector that took that money in the form of investment. Well, then they've got all this cash. And it's like, well, what do we, you know, we've got all this money. We raised all this capital. What do we do with it? We got to figure out how to spend it. Well, they put it in the bank, SVB. Silicon Valley Bank catered to the tech center, sector in addition to other sectors of the of the economy, but primarily they supported, they loaned money, they um, invested in the tech sector down there in San Francisco. And so as a result, all of their customers had all this cash, and so they deposited it. They went and like, oh, we, got, we can't put it under the mattress. We can't put it in the safe. I mean, we got to put it in the bank. So they took it to SVB and deposited it. That's what banks are for, getting a very, very, very modest interest you know basically nothing actually the cost of inflation was making the <laughs> the money was worth less the longer you leave it in the bank because inflation's rising faster than the interest rate anyway so now the bank has this quote unquote issue i don't know if we call it a problem now they've got all this cash this just flood probably hundreds of billions of dollars of of cash has been deposited now what do they do with it so much money came into svb they couldn't loan it back out there just weren't enough people borrowing the money to turn around and loan. That's what banks do. They take deposits, they loan it on the spread, and then they make money that, that on the interest. Well, because they couldn't loan it fast enough, what SVB did is they bought government bonds. Now, two years ago, those bonds weren't producing a very good return on investment, but at least they were considered secure. And they are. If you let those bonds mature, they're absolutely secure. So they bought all these bonds. And when interest was like basically zero, getting a very small return on those bonds, it was actually still profitable for the bank. Okay, no problem. Until you start to see the economy slow, a couple of things happen. As the interest rate hikes continue and business begins to slow down, those tech companies that had invested their cash or had put their cash into that bank, they got to have a place to write checks out of, you know, so on and so forth. They began to draw down on those deposits that they had made. They needed that cash to operate their businesses because the flood of investment was slowing down. Their access to capital was slowing down. And so instead of new investment capital that they were raising, they needed to access the cash that they had put into the bank. Hey, we got to make payroll. We got to make these investments. We got to pay the rent, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we didn't have as good a sales. And so now we actually need to backstop those losses with cash out of the bank. Well, that began to happen. And the bank was like, oh, too many of these people want their cash all of a sudden. So SVB turned around and went, well, what's our access to cash? We've got to give these people their money. They put it on deposit. What did we do with it? Oh, shoot. All that cash that they deposited, we bought government bonds, which typically isn't necessarily a bad thing. When those bonds mature, you get your return and you get your money back. But if you need to buy those bonds out before they mature, there's a potential problem if the new bonds that they're being that are being created because of the higher interest rates, those new bonds are more valuable. They're paying a higher interest rate than the old bonds that SVB bought. So, uh-oh, now they have this asset that they purchased. They stored the money in the form of these bonds that were producing this very, very small interest rate return. Well, now I got to go sell those bonds. But now, because the new bonds are producing a higher return, they're more valuable, making the old bonds that they bought way less valuable, so much less valuable that when they went to go ahead and cash those out, it created this huge deficit. 
And so they had to sell all those bonds at a massive discount, which created a massive loss. I mean, you buy, let's just say, $100 billion in bonds. You'd like to get that $100 billion back plus some interest. But in this case, those bonds were worth a fraction of what they paid for them. So they had to buy them or they had to sell them at a discount, which means, hey, we paid $100 bill. We're only going to get $50 billion back. And I think the numbers were actually smaller than that, but just the sense of proportion. Here's what happened. So you got all your depositors going, hey, I want my $100 billion out. And they're like, okay, well, we'll go sell these bonds. at fit. Now we've got a $50 billion shortfall. Where's that cash going to come from? So as the investors in this banking industry began to realize what was happening, something else happened. SVB's in trouble. They're trying to sell bonds. They're now devalued. They started whispering. They started telling their folks, hey, if you've got your cash at SVB, get it out now. Get it out now. And that started this run on SVB, which basically accelerated their decline. Now, not just the companies that are trying to access their cash to run their businesses wanting their money out. Now the people that just had their money on deposit panic in a state of fear. They rush down there and go, I want my money. Now you have compounded. You have you have exponentially, um, you, you just created this massive problem. It was an issue before. Now it's a crisis. Now it's a panic. Now it's a run on the bank. And that's why on Friday of last week, the regulators had to come in and shut it down. I mean, the stock tanked, dropped by like 60, 70%. And then the bank was in, you know, at risk of just completely collapsing. So the federal regulators came in, shut it down. And that's where you've got the administration saying, hey, don't worry, even though all your deposits, if it was in excess of 250,000, the FDIC only covers up to 250. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to make sure that all the depositors are going to be made whole, even though the money's not there. And here's why the money's not there. They bought bonds at 100 billion, now the bonds are only worth 50 and they went ahead to sell those to raise the cash, and now you've got this massive loss. The cash is gone. The depositors can't get money out of the bank if the money isn't there, and that's where we see this banking. Now it's starting to spread. Another bank has failed over the weekend, and now they're saying that Credit Suisse, this other huge bank, is maybe at risk for another, you know, it's related, it's related to the bond market, which, like I said, in the beginning of this episode, <laughs> I should have added, I'm not a stockbroker either. I don't do bonds. I, I'm, I'm just giving you what I understand. But there's another bank that's now at risk, probably for a related reason. The, the value of these bonds has decreased so dramatically as a result of the interest rate hikes. You know, now there's, uh, there, there's, there's other concerns out there. So what is this? How do we put this into the language that somebody like you and me can kind of grasp it? Well, here's my best explanation. Let's just say you're running your fab shop and all of a sudden your customers have a bunch of extra money or they've got a bunch of jobs that they're going to do. They're speculating. Hey, we got all these houses coming down the pike and you know what? We're going to go ahead and just make deposits now for this 150 homes that we've got coming down the pike and you take those deposits in and then you've got other customers that are like, oh yeah, we're going to do this too. And so you, all of a sudden you've got way more deposits. The demand for your services spikes, everybody makes deposits, but it's going to take you months and months and months, six, eight, ten months before you can actually do all of that work. But what do you do with all this cash, all these deposits that have been given to you? Well, you think, well, I could just put that in the checking account or now that because all of a sudden I've got all this cash in the form of these deposits. And since white quartz, you know, the 
I'm not sure what all the, all the names are these days, but basically every quartz manufacturer known to mankind has four different types of quartz that looks like Calcutta or Carrera. Let's go buy five containers of white marble-looking quartz at a massive discount because we're buying it in quantity. We'll put that money into the inventory, and then when we turn around and sell that inventory in a month, and two months, six months, 12 months, we're going to make huge bank on the material because we're buying it at quantity. So... Sounds like a great plan. You take those deposits, you order the containers, they show up, you unload them, you stage them. Now you're ready to kill it. You're ready to make some serious money on that material that you bought. Only problem is, all of a sudden something happens. There's a little bit of uncertainty in the market. So two things happen. Some of your customers go, you know what? We're going to go ahead and put those jobs on hold. We're going to just, instead of breaking ground on that subdivision, we just decided we're going to wait. So, hey, I know I put that deposit down. I'd like to get my deposit back. Okay. But at the same time, you have other customers that go, hey, guess what? We want to hurry up and panic. We want to finish those jobs. Economy looks a little bit iffy. We're going to go ahead and expedite these projects. So all of a sudden, you have two dynamics happening. Some of your customers want their deposits back. Other ones want the work done right away. So that's number one. Same thing. You kind of got to run on your deposits. (laughs) Some want their deposits back. Other ones want the jobs done. But then you have another dynamic. And this is the correlation to the bonds. That white quartz that was so hot when you ordered the containers isn't so hot anymore. The demand for white quartz The trends have shifted. They've gone the other way. Probably not back to Ubatuba, but let's just say trends change. They evolved. The designers in the magazines, as soon as you order those containers, they started specking (laughs) exotic granites again. And all of a sudden, you thought you had all that white quartz. It was just a given. It was an absolute. It was guaranteed. I'm going to sell that, and I'm going to crush it. I'm going to make a massive profit. All of a sudden, white quartz slabs are no longer popular. So not only are you going to sell all that inventory, you can't give it away. People don't want it anymore. So now all of a sudden, even though you got that white quartz at a great price, the value of those slabs has now dropped significantly. It's not a guarantee that you can turn around and go sell them, even for what you paid for them, much less a profit. And now what you have is a scenario where you have to sell that quartz because keep in mind, you got people that want their deposits back. And keep in mind, you got people who want their jobs done now, but you still have to keep the lights on. You got to pay overhead. You still got to pay your employees to do those jobs. Now, all of a sudden, when you needed that cash to operate the business to keep the promise made to the customer and actually deliver a finished countertop, they're saying, I want that done now, but I don't want white quartz. Shoot. That speculative decision that was made to buy that white quartz now comes back to haunt you. And that's what's exactly happened to this bank. They bought those bonds. They thought they were a sure thing. Unfortunately, the interest rate hikes caused those bond values to drop. And just at the time they needed that cash to give to their you know, to their customers, i.e. the people that had deposited their cash in the bank, they cannot convert those bonds at the same price that they paid for them. And so they take a massive loss in the same way that if all of a sudden to, to liquidate those containers or white quartz slabs, you had to sell them at 50%. Let's say you took $100,000 in deposits. All of a sudden, those slabs are only worth fifty grand. if you can sell them and you sell them for fifty grand, Now you have a $50,000 shortfall 
You don't have the 50 grand to give back to those customers that want their deposits back. And now you don't have the 50 grand to operate the business on the customers that want their jobs done out of something other than white courts. <laughs> that's, I mean, it's like a nightmare scenario. Imagine if you had made that decision and that's what happened in your fab shop. But that's exactly what happened to SVB, Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank. And it may be what's happening to Credit Suisse because they're involved in the bond market. And so, fellow fabricator, that's, I think, in a nutshell, fabricator ease for what happened in the banking sector and what may be happening to the other banks. So, where does that, what do we do with that? I mean, in and of itself, it's just information. Maybe it's a little bit more insight as to what happened. And I think it, it gives us, you know, when we, when we better understand what's going on, then we're not as likely to give in to the fear and panic from some of these doomsday folks that are just like absolutely certain it's like, they're, they're, they're trying to talk us into a downturn. It, oh, this means it's 2008 all over again. Oh, this is just the start. It's the banking collapse has begun. You know, all this negativity, all this doom and gloom, all this pessimism, all these predictions, and, and they're just predictions. Nobody knows the future. So I'm not saying that, I'm not saying anything other than I just want to better understand what's going on so I can kind of put into context what everybody's saying. Is it that, is it, is it that bad? Does this scenario, now if one bank made this decision, just like one fabricator makes this decision and they fold, does that mean that all the other fabricators in the, in the, in the, in the market are going to fold if they didn't make those same decisions? No. They put that money in the bank, separated it on their balance sheet. Hey, this is a deposit. This isn't my money. I put it in the bank. Hopefully it's FDIC insured. Hey, you want your money back? You want to take that deposit? Okay, here it is. We'll cut you a check. Hey, you ready to do that job? Fantastic. I got the cash to run the business. What kind of material do you want? Oh, you don't want white quartz. Who knew? <laughs> Who would have thought? You want Ubatuba? Great. We can do that. Well, the other you know, 99 shops in town that didn't invest that money into containers of white quartz, they're fine. So time will tell. If all the other banks made the same decision, well, that might, <laughs> that might mean something long term. But if they didn't, this is just an isolated case of a bank that made some bad decisions. And I think this is a better way of understanding the decisions that they made. So where does that leave us? Is there another banking crisis upon us? I mean, that thoughts crossed my mind. That's why I called my advisor on Monday morning. Hey, Rick, we got to talk. What's going on? I just heard this massive bank failed. Um, what does this mean? Well, he explained to me what I just explained to you, and then I turned around and explained it to you in the context of a fabricator's experience. It's business as usual. The fundamentals don't change, but here's what I will say. There's two hedges. We don't know the future. Is the banking sector going to melt down? Maybe, maybe not. Is the economy going to take off? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know the future. We don't have a crystal ball. But here's what I do know. In times of uncertainty, in times of financial anxiousness, I'm going to share with you a couple of principles. Number one, most important, and this is the second thing I did. Probably should have been the first, but it was the second thing I did. So after I talked to Rick, <laughs> I was reminded of the fact that, wow, so many things are outside of my control. The banking sector could be melting down, and that could mean economic uncertainty and difficulty for the foreseeable future. Okay, that's not something I can control. If all of a sudden... I've got all my peace of mind wrapped up in how well the economy's going or how you know uh, the, the, the professionals are talking about the economy. Well, that's great when things look good, but when things look bad, when things look uncertain, all of a sudden, 
my peace of mind begins to diminish. It, it begins to evaporate very quickly in some cases. And so number one, our security must be rooted in things that last. And so for me, my security, my ultimate at the end of the day, even though I forget this, at the end of the day, my, 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 my security here on earth is rooted in my belief in God. So after I talked to Rick, first thing I did, I went back and read a psalm. It's a book in the Bible. The book of Psalms was written by a man named David, King David. He was a king in Israel. Psalm 112, I'm just going to read a few verses. These always bring me massive comfort in times of great uncertainty. Psalm 112, verse 6. This is talking about the man who puts his faith in God, not his faith in institutions, not his faith in financial analysts, not his faith in the government. For the man who puts his faith in God, this is true. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So fellow fabricators, stone shop owners, number one, when I experience uncertainty, fear, panic, First thing I want to do is go back to what cannot be shaken. For those whose faith is in God, who is in control of the entire universe, there's no fear. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast. His heart is secure. Ultimately, I want to find my security in things that are far more powerful than me, far more powerful powerful than the administration or the Federal Reserve or the financial analysts. So that's number one. That's where the lasting, true peace of mind comes from. Things that are absolutely secure and unshakable, which is my faith in God. Number two, I still got a business to run. I still have decisions to make. I can make good decisions. I can make mediocre decisions, and I can make bad decisions. So the way in which I make decisions within the business will play a role in the outcomes that I experience in the business. And so you may or may not have listened to the little series I did on economic storms here a couple of months ago. If you didn't, I'd go back and listen to those. There's some fantastic meat and potato principles, experiences that I share with you from my time going through the great recessions, huge mistakes that I made and some things that we did right that, um, that I'm doing very differently this time around. And I find myself in a completely different place. If the bank collapses, that's fine. I'm not in debt, so I, it's, it's a lot less of a concern. So here are three things to keep in mind. Number one, put your faith in things that cannot be shaken. Put your faith in things that are not of this world that can't collapse on a moment's notice unexpectedly. Number two, make good decisions in your business. So here's some decisions that can be made. Reducing debt, something I talked about in recent episodes. Conserving your cash something else I talked about in recent episodes, and then managing the business. What does that mean? It means right-sizing your expenses to the sales that you have. It's absolutely critical. Here's a recap of a whole bunch of episodes. Number one, your quote volume. Are you tracking it? Your quote volume is your canary in the coal mine. Your quote volume is the leading indicator in your business if your sales are going to start sliding. If economic 
uncertainty works its way and ripples through the economy and people start getting nervous and you got builders that are putting projects on hold. You got customers that are like, oh shoot, my house is worth less than it was last year when I bought it. Maybe we'll put that project on, on hold until we got some equity again. You start feeling those things happening. If you're, mo- if you're measuring and monitoring your quote volume, it'll tell you, hey, quote volume in March this year is down from quote volume last year. Mm, start paying attention. Typically, quote volume is about a two-month, a 60-day leading indicator to actual production schedule. So as long as you are maintaining your same close ratio, if you're still closing the same percentage of quotes, if your quote volume slides, your sales are going to slide and what you're going to produce next month is going to slide, which means if you don't get your expenses in line with those lower sales, you're going to either make less money or you're going to lose money. So you got to manage the business. Managing the business, meaning it means keeping your expenses in right proportion to your sales. And you can track, you can predict your sales based on your quote volume. So fellow fabricator, heading into uncertain times, if that's what's on the horizon for us, you know, okay, we've been through it once, we'll be through it again, and most likely most of us will be through it again, yet again, before we're done (laughs) in uh, in this business. Reducing debt, conserving cash, manage the business. Keep your expenses right-sized to your sales, Track your sales, predict your sales by monitoring your quote volume. Your quote volume is your canary in the coal mine. So fellow fabricator, you know what? If you need some encouragement, if you need a you know a, a perspective, a sounding board, you got some concerns about what's going on in your business, maybe how do I monitor my quote volume? How do I put that into practice in my business? You can always reach out to me, fellow fabricator. You can go to AaronCrowley.com. Go to the work with me page. You can fill out a form, request a 90-minute coaching experience with me. It's no strings attached. If you need that, we'd love to hear from you. If not, just keep doing what you're doing, fellow fabricator. Reduce debt, conserve your cash, right-size your business, manage your business, keep your expenses in line. And no, keep this in mind, that those things are still not a guarantee for peace of mind. The only true peace of mind comes from an unshakable faith in God, in a higher power that isn't subject to the ups and downs of the American economy. So, fellow fabricator, I'm so glad that you tuned in. Make sure you tune in next time to the next episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. Until then, happy fabricating.